lonely every day of my life. Alright, welcome guys. Go ahead and take a seat. Grab your coffee if you have it. Throw up an X if you are down. Rock on. Indeed. Indeed. Welcome tonight. Welcome. You. You. Were cut out of an olive tree that was wild by nature. You were cut out of an olive tree that was wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree. Yeah, interesting. Are you here for God tonight? Do you want to learn tonight? Are you willing to change tonight? Then let's begin. Then let's begin. There are many different topics that we can talk about tonight. There are tons that we have uh, covered, will cover, could cover tonight in Steadfast. Countless numbers of stories we could read, a multitude of characteristics of the Lord God that we could study. Tonight, though, we're going to learn about the most important part of life. The most important part of life, the centerpiece of God himself, the most important thing that God has instituted here since we messed it up with sin, salvation. That's what we're talking about tonight, salvation. Let me give you guys a little backstory, okay? There once was God. He was sitting out in nowhereness by himself floating over the earth. He decided that he was going to graft this earth into some beautiful, amazing planet, which we know of as earth today. And on it, he placed man. He placed people. Well, unfortunately, we messed it up. Um, we sinned, and we took sin into ourselves, and we, we corrupted what the world was supposed to be. Um, let me give you guys a little continuation of the story kind of in the Bible here. It's Romans five twelve through 21, if you guys would like to look it up as well. I'm going to read it for you guys out of the message because I really, really like it, and um, you guys can follow right along. 5, 12 through 21. See, it's a little confusing, isn't it? All right, I want to read this for you. It says this. You know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma that we're in. First sin, then death. And no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. But the extent of the disturbance was not clear until God spelled it out in detail to Moses. So death, this huge abyss separating us from God, dominated the landscape from Adam to Moses. Even those who didn't sin precisely as Adam did by disobeying a specific command of God still had to experience this termination of life, life, this separation from God. But Adam, who got us into this, also points ahead to the one who will get us out of it. Yet the rescuing gift is not exactly parallel to the death-dealing sin. If one man's sin put crowds of people at the dead-end abyss of separation from God, just think what God's gift poured through one man, Jesus Christ, will do. There's no comparison between the death-dealing sin and this generous, life-giving gift. The verdict on that one sin was the death sentence. The verdict on the many sins that followed was this wonderful life sentence. The death got the up, if death got the upper hand through one man's wrongdoing, can you imagine the breathtaking recovery life makes, sovereign life, in those who grasp with both hands this wildly extravagant life gift, this grand setting everything right, 
the one man Jesus Christ provides. Very, very cool, very cool section. Um, it caught my eye so much when I read it in the message that I like underlined the whole thing. But it talks about this, this, this sin that dealt death into the world, caused by Adam. One man's sin that brought death into this world, and then one man's life that brought life into this world, Jesus Christ. Um, God made me and you, all of us as humans, to be with him. The reason why he created us was to share and to be with him, to be in unity with him. But we separated ourselves from him when this sin took place. We pulled ourselves out of God's hands. It was brought into this world by us through our own pride, of wanting to be more like God and taking it forcefully if necessary. And God had to pay for the sin in order to reconcile us back to the presence that he wants to share with us. However, of all this talk of salvation, of one man's sin dealing death and one man's life dealing life, that's not the full story, is it? If I've learned anything from countless dance movies over the years, (laughs) it's that it takes two to tango. It takes two to tango. What does this mean, you might ask, because that's a strange strange, uh, sentence to throw on there. It means that God may have sent Jesus Christ but it takes two to tango. There must be a response. Just Jesus coming isn't enough. That's not the whole story of salvation, is it? It takes two. I think that if we ask someone how you attain salvation, you would get a number of different ideas from people. If you asked a broad cross-section of people, man, how do you attain salvation? Man, there would be a number of different ideas that would be given to you. But even worse than that, if you ask people what needs to happen inside of a person in order for them to receive salvation, now that would be everywhere, wouldn't it? That would be all over the place. Even Christians that would agree on the fact of only relationship with Christ will get us to heaven could still cover a different multitude of ideas. What needs to happen inside of a person for them to understand what salvation is? But let's simplify it tonight. Tonight, for the next few minutes, Let's talk about, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, tonight's awesome because it's a really great explanation of what salvation is, what it looks like, what has to happen. If you are in a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have salvation, then this is great because it gives you a picture of what needs to happen in those around you who might be a burden on your heart. A pre-Christian, and you might want to take notes because this is is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It's God-given type of stuff, right? A person must do three things to get to a place of salvation. Very simple, three things that must happen to get to a place of salvation. And they're this, love, understand, and decide. Love, understand, and decide are the three things that every pre-Christian must go through in order to come into relationship with Jesus Christ, in order to attain salvation. So let's start. First and foremost, love. And this absolutely has to come first. It can't be jostled in order. Love is first. People have to get a clear picture of who Jesus is and who God really is. There are lies, and there are walls built up in people's minds and in people's hearts right now as pre-Christians to who God is, to who Jesus Christ is, to who Christians are, to what the church is like, 
and there's all these these walls. It's a there is a maze of walls that are trying to stop the message of Jesus Christ from coming into their heart. All these have been set up, and they have to be broken down through positive pictures of who God is. And how this happens is through you and me. They get this positive picture, and they get to see God's love, uh, not by watching a video or not by you know hearing a sermon. But what they get it by is they get it through me and you, being a picture of who Jesus Christ is. What this means is this. Average Christians, average Christians being friends with pre-Christians, just another average Christian person that in a time spent in relationship, these walls can be busted down and shaken. These things that have been built up to stop them from understanding who God is can be pulled down by simple times sitting around talking. by simple times going out and hanging out together, by simple times just discussing the stupidest of things. Over time, the unsaved begin to fall in love with God before they even realize who God is. Because through you is a picture of Jesus Christ. Your love and your caringness, um, the person that you are, the way that you express yourself to them and how you, how you care for them, is a picture of who Jesus is. And before they even know who they're falling in love with, they're falling in love with Jesus Christ. They're falling in love with who he is. Um, Our goal is to get people to realize that God is good and Christians are okay. God is good and Christians are okay. If we can do that, we're changing amazing things. And I want to tell you a quick story. And uh, it's it's about this, this guy and uh, he started coming to our, uh, our college ministry back this last summer. Um, he showed up the very first night was uh, the fireworks. He's about this tall. He's kind of loud at times when he, wants to, uh, when he wants to get people's attention. Mr. Zach Duffy right up here. Zach, Zach showed up at, uh, he showed up at, our, at, our, at our fireworks night. Um, I know he wouldn't, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be offended by me saying this, but... A while into it, just it was I believe the next month we had a, we had a night when we had a um, we had a volleyball night and it was a volleyball day it was a beach day and I remember we went over there and it was it was a fun day or whatever like that I remember Zach came and, and it was it was a great day but I remember I, I got to take Zach home that night and we had a bunch of troubles with my car which is neither here oh nor neither here nor there but finally finally uh, we got to drive back to Zach's house and on the way I don't know if Zach remembers or not but. About 2.51 coming into town, Zach was telling me about how he felt that I brainwashed his brother. He says, my brother, he's crazy. He got brainwashed by you guys, and he believes all this stuff. And Zach said, you know what? He says, I don't believe it. I don't really believe it yet. Um, you talk to Zach about his, his testimony. Zach will tell you about what his, a lot of his beliefs were before Jesus Christ. But he says, you know, I really don't believe it yet. And he stopped, though, and Zach said this. He says, but I'm here because people are my friends. I'm here because people are my friends and they're nice. That's why I come back, because people are fun to hang out with. You see, the fact is, is, is really, is Zach was getting a picture of who Jesus Christ was before he even realized it. Now Zach is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. He knows who Jesus Christ is. He has salvation for eternity. You see, what happened is it was that, it was that love, and before he even knew it, he was falling in love with who God was. Actually, that was you. <laughs> but this is the deal. We have to be the example of who Jesus is. We have to be the example of who Jesus is and how much he cares about those who do not know him. You think he cares about you? He does. But there's parables that he talks about leaving 99 to find one. 
we're one of the 99 if we have a relationship, but his heart breaks for that one that's still lost. We have to have that exact same heart and, man, be willing to show the love that Jesus Christ shows. I want you to, to write this down and remember this for the rest of your life, okay? As a Christian, one of your number one goals in life is to make people homesick for God. That through your life and through the way that you touch people, that you just, you make people homesick for God. Because deep down inside of every one of our hearts is a heart shaped for God. We were formed from him, man, we were born in knowledge of him, and this world took and made us hard calloused and pulled us away from him. And our goal as Christians is to make people homesick and want to come back. That's our goal. If we can do that, that's the biggest thing. Really caring. Not just acting like you're caring, but really care. You know what? This is a great one for you guys. Remember this. Listen to listen, not to answer. Okay? Listen to listen and understand, not just to answer. Okay? But after love, after people fall in love with God, even though they might not even know it's God yet, and this love develops in their heart, this is the very first thing, but after that, what needs to happen is understanding. They need to understand. Once people fall in love with God, they need to actually know what the story has. You know, they might be in love with who you are, but they don't know the reality of who Jesus Christ is, why he came, what the world is, what the rules of the world are. Man, where I stand... They need to know where they're at in relationship with God. They need to know, uh, be told the fact that they're not good enough to achieve heaven just as they are. None of us are good enough on our own to be able to achieve heaven on our own. We need to be told that. We need to be told that you have to have a trust in something bigger than yourself, in someone better than yourself. I wholeheartedly believe that the great majority of people in the United States have never heard an accurate description of salvation. They've heard of religion. They've seen a bunch of, of crap, maybe on TV, or they've heard stuff when they went to like a funeral or a wedding, and they get these weird bits and pieces that don't really make any sense in their mind. But I think really a small few in this, in this, in this nation have actually been given an accurate description of what salvation is who Jesus is, what does that mean to your life? I want to give you guys, I know I've told you it before, but I want you guys to put this in, in your memory. Go in your Bibles to Romans 6.23. All right, and a very simple verse says this. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to underline that and put a star by it in your Bible. Go ahead and circle it if you want to. We call this, I, I learned it from Fusion, and it's called One Verse Evangelism. And what it is is that in this one verse is the description of everything that salvation encompasses. Everything that salvation encompasses. And here's what it is, okay? Wages are what you earn. You work and you get paid a wage. We work at sin. All of us have sinned, and through our life of, of sinning, the wage that we collect at the end is death. That's what it says. The wages of sin is death. That's where we stand right here, okay? A gift is something that's given freely. You can't earn it. It's just given to you because, man, the person wants to bless you. And the gift of God, though, is eternal life. Obviously, a stark comparison. Wages of sin, death. Gift of God, eternal life. And see, this sits right here. The problem is, is there's this huge, huge 
chasm in between that we can't get between. We're stuck in the wages of sin, and we want the gift of God. And the end of that verse describes it. The bridge that goes in between is the cross of Christ. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, we can cross over from the wages of sin to the gift of God being eternal life. One verse can be used to explain all of what salvation means to people. Obviously, there's a lot more about that, but that can give them that, that cornerstone description of what is, what is salvation. I don't understand. Save from what? Save from death that we have earned into life that God wants to give you freely. Everyone should be given an opportunity to face their sin and realize that there's something that they can do about it. Everyone should be given that, that ability. Um, if you have salvation, it is your responsibility to give people this opportunity. It's wholeheartedly your responsibility. And um, for years, Christians have been using this verse to support this. They say, you have to tell people about who Jesus Christ is. And the reason they say it is because of Matthew 28, 19, which is a great verse. Um, it's called the Great Commission. And Jesus Christ says, go out into all the world and making disciples and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that's good, but I'll be completely honest with you. It makes me sick to my stomach. It makes me sick to my stomach. If I'm in a burning building, and as I'm rushing out, there's a child sitting among the flames, I don't have to be commissioned to pick up that child and carry it out with me. I don't have to be told that it's my responsibility to pick up that kid and carry him from the flames. I don't have to be taught that it's my responsibility to carry somebody out of a burning building and save their life. And it makes me sick that that's how we've approached as Christians for so long. Why do you need to tell people about Jesus Christ? Because he said you needed to. That's just disgusting. You don't have to learn the fact that it's your responsibility to save life. So people do, though. They say that they have salvation, and they never tell anyone about it. And there are so many words I could say to describe this kind of person, many that I shouldn't say when I'm being recorded. But if I can say one, it's this liar. It's liar. Absolutely a liar. If you really believe it, and you really feel that you were pulled from flames, that you were pulled from eternal destruction into eternal life, do not stand and tell me that you don't care to tell anybody about that. Do not stand and act as if you could just go on living your life exactly the same. If you said the prayer of salvation, the second thing you need to do is ask Jesus Christ to give you his heart. You need to come to a place in which you say, God, my heart is black, evil, and calloused, and I no longer want it, but I want your heart. And if you say this prayer, and you don't begin to feel a burden for others, you need to start over. You need to start over. Because I don't really think you have salvation. If you've said the sinner's prayer, you ask for God's heart, and you still don't feel a burden for those that are dying and going to hell, start over and go back 
because I don't think you actually have salvation. Because your heart should start to break. Your heart should begin to break. I know it's been used so much, and I hate, man, I hate to even say it. I promised Shelby I would never do a series on this, on this topic, and I, I still won't. But it's really true. As Christians, we're not meant to be average, but we're meant to be heroes. We're meant to be heroes once we become Christians. We're not only supposed to stop and pick up that kid that's among the flames, but as Christians, we're called to go outside to set down that kid and to run back into the flames again. That when everyone else is standing up just staring at the, at the fire, as Christians, we're called to take and run back into the flames a second time and to risk our life to go in and make sure there's no one left behind. To go back in and search out every crevice and risk our own life in order the fact that we make sure, man, there's no one who's going to die in that inferno. As Christians, we are called to be heroes. We're not called just to be average people who care only about ourselves. That isn't who we're supposed to be. We tell people where they stand with God because of love. Very, very often people throw at Christians, and there's, people who, there's Christians who are like this, and I understand why we get it. But as soon as you tell somebody about the fact of sin and the fact that this sin leads to death and hell, people say you're another one of those hateful Christians. And what I hate is the fact that I and some of you guys get painted with that exact same brush. We tell people of their sin and of an eternity in hell out of love. We tell them out of love. Just like a child holding on to a stick of dynamite lit, but they're excited by it because of the beautiful burning wick. Man, to not tell them would be evil, wouldn't it? Just say, well, you know what? They seem like they're having a good time. That's evil, isn't it? You'd say that man is evil. That person would be evil not to say something. The exact same applies to us. The exact same applies to us. It would be evil not to tell somebody man, you are holding death and you have an opportunity to do something about it. Once people have gotten an opportunity to understand, to get love and to get an understanding, there's a third thing that needs to happen and it's this. They have to decide. Once people have gotten this opportunity, they can finally come to a place of decision. And I know in... If you're anything like me, you think, man, after they've experienced the love and after they've, they've come to understand the message, man, they'd have to grab it, wouldn't they? After that clear picture, they'd have to accept this relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, who wouldn't? But it's not the case. It's not enough just to understand. Um, I said at the beginning, it takes two to tango, right? Stupid line, but this is exactly the truth. Um, the other person might have already wooed your heart and the other person might have already taught you all about the tango but so far there's just one person dancing and the other person is just sitting by the sidelines and this moment comes in which the person goes ahead and tangles on over and reaches out their hand and says can I have this dance the same thing happens after the love and after the understanding there comes a place of decision and they have to decide do I take their hand and do I go out on the dance floor or do I just take and sit back? 
Will you accept Christ's salvation? Saying that salvation is free is really a lie. I don't think I'm ever going to say it again. Because unless you're talking about money, you're lying to say that salvation is free. It's not. It's not. Jesus says in Luke 14, 28-30, that a person has to count the cost of being a disciple. He says, if you think you want to be a disciple, he says, count the cost. He says, only a fool would start to build a house and then run out of money. He says, how he would be laughed at for only having a foundation. The same thing applies to us. Man, if you say, I want it, Jesus says, count the cost first. Don't say yes and then be counted a fool, but look through and say, are you really, are you really willing? It's not the fact of just accepting salvation. That's the key. It's not just deciding, oh yeah, I'm going to accept eternal life. But what people have to realize is the fact that you're transferring ownership of your life to Jesus Christ. The life that was once yours to decide what to do with it, the life that was once yours to form and to handle, you take and you transfer that power and say, Jesus, you have the ultimate control over my life. And I'll follow what you have for me no matter what it is, no matter how hard it is. I'm willing to do anything because I trust you. You have to weigh the cost. In the Chinese church, uh, Chinese underground church, very, very often when they give a message of salvation, when people come up and say, I want salvation, they say this, are you willing to die for it tomorrow? Are you willing to die for your faith tomorrow? Because it could happen. And that's what people get, I mean, slapped with when they say, I want salvation. And it's great. Because that's the reality. Have you, weighed, have you really weighed the cost and said that this is worth more than my life? So people have to come to that. God's word said that his burden is light and he's not a liar. And the reason why is this is, although it is a huge cost, he says my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he's telling the truth because when you take and you weigh them out to what sin offers you and what he offers you, man, it is a free dance. <laughs> I mean, uh there's a, there's a blindside song that says that. He says, you know, the cross is a burden. He says, well, then how come my shoes are so light? How come I could just dance for miles? Because what God offers you is so much, so much more beautiful. But still, still after all of this, there are those who will not accept it. There are those who you can love and you can give them perfectly clear description of who God is. And when they come to that point of decision, they don't. And it's really, really hard as Christians, as that witness. It's really, really hard. I have a friend um, I just talked to this week, and um, I've been her friend for years, years and years and years. We've been friends forever. And I know that I have presented the gospel to her at least probably five times. I've showed her Christ's love for years, and I've, I've told her, and I've been there at hard times. She called me this week because they think that she might have these two different kinds of cancer that usually kill people within a year. So she says, I might only have a year left to live. And I was, of course, turned back to Jesus Christ again because I know he's the one and only answer. She just basically pushed me off once again. And it's heartbreaking as a Christian. It is heartbreaking to look at people who you know have that ability to decide and they decide no. 
It's perfectly their right. But that's going to be the hardest thing you're going to face. That's going to be the hardest thing you're going to face. But we have to be there. When they do decide to grab them and pull them in, you have to be persistent in prayer and know that maybe it's just a matter of time and that you're still going to be there through all the hardness. If a pre-Christian is to come to salvation, three things really need to happen. Like I said, love, understanding, and for them to decide. But for those who have salvation right now, do we really understand it? I mean, do we really understand what salvation is? And if we do have it, what is the ramifications of that? Man, what are my actions to be? I want you guys to turn... um, Right in Romans, don't have to go very far, but turn to Romans 11. As this, this really awesome picture, um, it starts in, in 11, we're not going to start exactly there, but it's called Engrafted Branches. And I want to start um, in verse 17. Before this, is talking about the Jews, just to set the, set the stage for you guys. It's talking about the Jews and about God's salvation coming to them. Man, that, that everything was set up for them, but then because of who they, who they were and them turning away from God, this is kind of where it, it sets up now. It says in 17, If some of the branches have been broken off, and you, though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do you boast over these branches? If you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. What it's talking about is us. Okay, everyone here, we're Gentiles. And although, man, it seems like we're the church that's always preached, like a lot of us have a real closed mindset of like, our American white church, um, man, we're second place. God's people are the Jews. And the only reason why we have an option of salvation, as crazy as it sounds, is because they denied it. It even says earlier in this, if you read it, that Paul says one of the reasons why I love to preach to the Gentiles is for the hope that when they come to it, that it will take and make my Jewish brothers jealous and they will come back. It says, if, if by the Jews turning away from God, you Gentiles were given the opportunity, just think of what happens when they'll come back. We have this beautiful option of salvation because of the Jews' failure to really, to really grasp. Paul says it in another part where he says that now you Gentiles understand better than us Jews do. That's amazing. We, I like what he says. Do not get arrogant, but count your salvation as a blessing You say, thank you, God, because basically God didn't have to accept us because we aren't Jewish. God didn't have to accept us. But it it goes on with this, and this is really, really cool. This is how we need to live salvation. It says, consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. Stop right there. I think this is a picture of how we're supposed to live salvation. And it's not out of arrogance, not of pride. But you see that 
It's living it. Considering God's sternness and his kindness. Man, it's knowing the fact that God is so ridiculously kind to let us have salvation. And that every single day we should be just ecstatic at the fact that we have been saved. So blessed to have salvation. But that we don't forget the fact that God, man, has a strong grasp. And I want to read you this because this, this refutes some, of your, some guys' beliefs, um, similar people's, and I, I really want you to understand this. Right off of that, it says, Consider therefore the kindness and sternness of God, sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you. And it says this, Provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you also will be cut off. I wholeheartedly do not believe in once saved, always saved. And we can have a debate anytime you want to at school. But what I see is that God is all about the here and now. He's not about something you did. He's not about something your parents did. He's not about something that happened in the past, but he's about where your heart is today. He says that the people who did wrong and turned away, they won't be punished. But he says the people that did good and turned, he says they will be punished. It's all about who you are now. And I wholeheartedly believe that just like it says here, provided that you continue a continual salvation, you will have it, but that you have the absolute right to turn away whenever you want to. We have to live like this. A long time ago, I did a message, man, it's been like two years ago, um, about salvation. And I called followers of the way, and I talked about three different kinds of salvation, about an initial salvation, a continued salvation, and a finished salvation. And the fact is that salvation isn't a one-time deal that we did one night saying a prayer, but that we live salvation every single day of our lives. And that's how we need to work at it, is know that it's a continuation. It's a continuation of who we are. It finishes with this. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily release the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree. <clears throat> it's talking about the Jews returning, which needs to be our hope. Three things. Three quick things we need to do. Everyone here. First and foremost, remember and understand what it takes for a person to gain salvation. Because it's going to give you a good view of what has to happen in a person's heart. Second, continually consider the kindness and sternness. Don't ever forget that. Consider, continually go back to the fact that, man, God is so, so kind, but he is also stern. And this continued salvation must be lived out on a daily basis. And third, make salvation the centerpiece of your life as a Christian. Don't be peripheral on everything else that has to do with God. There's a lot of really great things that have to do with God but make the centerpiece of your life salvation, about living yours and about bringing others to it. If you make that your centerpiece, you're going to make God smile. Get passionate about salvation. Man, when you hear someone get saved, it should be the biggest explosion in your heart ever. Man, it should, just, it should rock your world. Someone who is, man, bound for hell and bound for death was springed out man, just like broken out of jail and was given the keys to the kingdom. Man, they can go on to eternal life. Nothing should get us more excited and passionate. Nothing should fire us up more. Nothing should 
I mean, fuel the fires of our ministry and life more than the idea of salvation and people coming to know who God is. Like I said, Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. That has to be our heart. Some tonight might need salvation. Others might need to ask God that we really need to be forgiven because maybe we haven't taken salvation seriously. Maybe others need to recommit their lives. Others maybe really just need to come and beg God for their heart to be taken out and for his to be put in. I want to pray. And then, um, just because I, I think tonight is important, obviously salvation being the centerpiece, um, after we finish praying, I just want to go ahead, leave the front a little darker, put on a little music. If people want to come, um, I, I'll be around for a little bit, but if you just need to come and just find a place, just for a few minutes, you know, it doesn't have to be long and drawn out. It doesn't have to be, you know, a crying jag that lasts half an hour. But if it's earnest from your heart, you can come up and kneel down and just say, God, I want your heart. I want your heart. Man, mine is not pure. I want to know what, what your love is. Man, make, make salvation the centerpiece of our lives. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for tonight. And I thank you so much for the salvation that has been given as a gift to us, Lord God. Lord, that we, um, Lord, that we don't even really deserve it, Lord, as Gentiles. That we have no right to ask for it. But Lord, that you are gracious enough to bless us with it. I pray to you, God, that you would just let us realize uh, just the centerpiece of salvation, Lord, and how it's just so much. I mean, it's the most amazing thing that you've done, Lord, since we messed up this world to reconcile us back to you. I pray to you, God, that you would just give us a burning passion. Lord, broken hearts um, for those who do not know you. God, please just, just break our hearts open, Lord, that when we see those who do not, that it would hurt, that we would feel your heart. And I just thank you for tonight, Lord God. I pray that you would let this message resound, Lord God, and echo, echo in our minds and in our hearts. In your name that I pray, Jesus. Amen. Reaches to the heavens Your faithfulness Stretches to the sky